you the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Well, we're back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Mr. Matt Weber on the board. We have uh, S&P futures up 38. NASDAQ futures up 147. Um, as the Fed chairman did his thing yesterday, and the Fed did their thing. And uh, I, for one, am uh, I don't know, I'm, stu- I'm, I'm somewhere between stunned and appalled. It ain't not what they're doing or what they're not doing, but the total lack of any sort of understanding or any kind of tough questions in this, the most absurd thing in this, uh, these news conferences that I don't even begin to understand the complicity of the news media with, anyway, Lou, how are you? I'm uh, a little windblown. We, yeah. Uh, we had 95 95- 95 mile an hour wind gusts recorded up at my alma, alma mater just down the road here at the Air Force Academy yesterday and uh, all of my lawn furniture ended up against one side of my uh, one side of my yard as a result of uh, I think I think Denver Denver recorded a 75 or 80 mile an hour gust um, at some point but it was uh, it was it was very windy yesterday and Power's out for a bunch of people here in Denver, and uh, trees are down, and everybody's Christmas decorations, uh, I think, are for the most part in somebody else's yard. <laughs> um, it's uh, this morning they say somewhere in Colorado recorded a 106 mile an hour gust. Yeah, um, I believe that was um, somewhere up near near Estes Park, I think. But or, or I'm sorry, down near the central central front range, down near um, Ute Pass or something like that. It it was it was bad. Um, we we you know signs flying off places and and you know again in in the city, much like what happens in Chicago. Denver now has enough tall buildings that they start they start funneling these winds into into channels and and in that wind channel you can get really you know high bursts of Activity, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure downtown Denver in a couple of places probably exceeded, you know, 80, 80, 90 miles an hour. Well, we had a guy here this morning. Uh, well, I'm assuming it was a guy. It might not be. Evidently, a semi got nailed in the wind somehow and blew through the the guardrail on the elevated part of the Ryan over the Chinatown oh my gosh. feeder and blew through the thing and landed down on the feeder and uh, sort of. Hastily trying to re- redo the barrier wall, which obviously didn't <laughs> wasn't semi-proof, and uh, trying to fix that this morning. I didn't say anything whether the guys croaked or not, but uh, I, well, they shut they shut down Colorado Springs, El Paso County, shut down all transportation on all roads for high-profile vehicles. They they shunted uh, semis off I twenty-five. The ones that they that they couldn't get before it came into that area, they just ordered to stop in place and just wait. Um, there were several there were several trucks overturned uh, on on that stretch of I twenty five, and you know most of us around here don't think of the front range of Denver to I twenty five to Pueblo 
um, which is where I-25 runs, really is as as a particularly dangerous area for weather because we're not in the mountains. You know, you're on the front range of the mountains, but you're not in the mountains. So, um, you know, this kind of, it always comes as a surprise, I think, to even to the people who live around here that that, that really bad weather can uh, can roll out of the mountains and uh, and do some damage. Well, I mean, it, it can do. There's a there's a scale. I don't know. I can. I, I've seen it lately, but not. I seem. To, I found a much more. Uh, we can hear the wind here yeah. in the background because I think you have your window open. Um. Yeah. Well, I, it won't close. <laughs> well, we can hear it. Well, that's, that's not good. No. It's like 55 mile per hour wind gusts here, which is not the same as 80 and 90. But uh, we got a lot of buildings here, and and they're rattling. Yes. It's an, it's, well, a, it's I, open I, I like remember, a quarter I inch. I remember when I worked in I worked worked in the old. Um, United Building on uh, on West Wacker, which which was, you know, what seventy stories, you know, whatever. Anyway, I was up on I was up on fifty, and I remember feeling that building move. Oh yeah, when uh, when when you know wind gusts came off of Lake Michigan or or whatever. Yeah, I, I, Denver does not have buildings like that, or, or doesn't have a, a large number of buildings like that. But um, yeah, I know Chicago's no. I know you guys are no strangers to violent wind gusts. Well, your, your buildings like the Hancock, I think, in a, <clears throat> I don't know about today, but the maximum sway on those things is somewhere in like the eight or nine feet range up on the top. So it's, I mean, you, you, you don't really want to be hung over and uh, wander into the bathroom and see waves in your toilet, but you, you could get them. I, I think actually if you're a, if you're a super wine purist, you're not supposed to store wine above like the 80th floor or 70th floor or something. Something bizarre. So, thing. like when you go to the signature room at the top of the Hancock, you know the, the sort of high class uh, restaurant up there. Uh, do you think they store their wine below, like several floors below? Because I think that's on like the 95th uh, floor. I don't know. They, I mean, like I said, this was. I don't know how, how purist you have to be or how long you gotta. But it makes sense. Is that, yeah. is that because of the vibration? No, you just you're, it's 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 moving. I mean, it's like it's like you're constantly moving the bottle of wine a little bit. You're constantly swaying, whether you don't whether you feel it or not, probably. Yeah, but I mean, you know, not very much most days. But I mean, today, I bet you're you're, I guess, you're feeling I guess, it. And I guess that goes to that stirs the sediment up in the wine, and so when you yeah. pour it, you get dregs. But you know, regardless I, of where the bottle is. But the wind scale right. is uh, that I remember reading. It was it's pretty interesting. I mean it. You know, sixty mile an hour. It's uh, or fifty. You know, hard for old people to older people to walk or compromise people. If it's and clearly today, you wouldn't want you know somebody wandering around out there if it's uh, if they're if they're compromising. But it's like it's like eighty five miles an hour. Uh, an empty box Mitch. car goes over ninety miles an hour. A full box car. I mean, it's once it starts getting up there, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, it's an empty. Maybe, summer, that, you know. maybe that was the problem that Maddie was running into the other day. So if there was too much wind, that's why people were walking into you, Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I would, I heard, I heard you talk about that. And I, I think I thought to myself, you know, I, I've come staggering out of union station, going to work many, a many a day and crossing the Adam street bridge and having people blown into me, you know, just, just staggering into me. Because the wind is coming down the river there <laughs> at uh, such a rate, so I, I, I thought, huh, I wonder if it was a windy day there because that would cause people to just 
to sort of bumble around and crash into each other as well. No, this was this was different because uh, so you know you walked in the loop many many times and and it's crowded and there's sort of a cadence to it. You kind of get absolutely. To, you kind of get yeah, to. No, the, I knew exactly. I knew exactly what you were referring to, and and yeah, it it's it's really disconcerting when when you, you've got about a third of the people who just are thinking. Well, I guess I'm the only person out here. You know, I, I yeah. I can, I can wander wherever I want. It, it seemed like the people that were down there were people that aren't used to being down there, too. It was. It wasn't. It. It didn't seem like it was the same people you're used to. Kind of that are going in and out of work, where it's really busy from you know seven a.m. to nine a.m. and then it's really busy from like eleven thirty to one thirty. You know when people are walking around for lunch, and then it's real busy anytime after you know four thirty. Uh, as people are heading to the train, it, it wasn't those people, or it didn't seem like it. Maybe it was like a, a third of those people. It was just a lot of random people, and everyone's just kind of walking into each other. And it was like there was tourists down there, and it was like, what the heck? Where, what is going on? It was really weird. That's you ever, uh, you ever do weird. that? That is weird. You ever do the New York thing where you're going the wrong way, and everybody's coming yes. the other way? I mean, it's just that's the worst. It's the uh, I had when I first when I first went there years and years ago, and I had a. One of my partners was from Wilmington, Delaware, or someplace. So, I was going to take the uh, Metro Liner from New York down to Philly, but I was leaving at like seven a.m. or seven thirty. So I get to Penn Station, and like everybody else is pouring into Penn Station to go come to work. There's got to be like fifty doors, and people piling out. And there's like one door on the end that you could you could go in at because <laughs> people are coming out the. I'm figure how the hell am I going to get down these steps? But there's, there's literally thousands of people pouring at me out these doors, and I'm going the other way. I was like a salmon going the wrong way. I was, you know, I was, I was like trying to go downstream or something. It was, <laughs> hey, uh, last night before we get on to some other topics, uh, uh, you guys, I'm sure have your your view of the sports record that will never be broken. I have my own personal view, and uh, I'm going to say that uh, it came very close last night. And I'm going to—I'll give you a hint. It was a hockey game. Nobody's going to buy I have it. absolutely no idea. Well, I know they honored the, the goalie last night for being the third hockey goalie ever to have 500 or more wins. Is it have anything to do with that, or is this no, they, not, they, not connected? Somebody, I, don't know, I think he was on the Hawks. That would be the same person. But there's a record of three goals scored in 21 seconds from, like, 1961 or two or something. Okay. By the same team? Yeah, by the same. Well, it happened to be the same guy, but just by the same team. I don't even know it was the same guy. Well, Hawks scored three goals last night in 34 seconds. Wow. One Hawk player did that? No, but, but, the, but the team. And, uh, and I'm thinking that's pretty close to the record, but it didn't get it. I, I don't see how anybody beats the 21-second one. That's, uh, <laughs> that's some frenetic hockey right there. Well, in the Stanley I, Cup, when they when they beat Philadelphia, I think it was was no, it was maybe the Boston when they the the year they beat Boston, didn't they score two goals in like eleven seconds or yeah, thirteen? Yes. Yeah, eleven laps, eleven seconds of elapsed time. Yep, yeah. that's right. Now, obviously, they didn't get the third one in, but uh, the, it, you can get two quick goals. It's it's getting that third one that's that's tough. Well, the record for uh, for a goal scored, but, but you know, from a center line, you know, in play is four seconds. That somehow somebody won the face off and somebody must have taken a slap shot from the blue line or something. So it's just, just getting it from the center line to the, you know, getting one in. I mean, 21's, 21's pretty fast for three, but last night, I'm sitting there, we're, we're at the triple, I'm watching and all of a sudden, the Hawks score and all of a sudden they go, oh, there's, there's three like right in a row. It was like 11 seconds apart. I'm like, how did they, how did they even, how do you even do that? But, uh. Yeah, and, and you think, 
you you um, you see something like that, and, and you're thinking, okay, if you're a player on the ice for the other team, you're going, what on? You have to be asking yourself, what the heck? Yeah. And and you literally find it's like it's like kind of like football where you know somebody, you know, you, you score a touchdown, and then and then the other side drops the you know drops the kickoff, and you you recover it and score another touchdown, and and then on the ensuing you know the ensuing kickoff you know. Or, or the, the next ensuing offensive series, you get an interception score. You just sort of wonder what or what do you do? I I remember um, NC two A championships. I think in two thousand one or two thousand two, where Duke was playing Maryland, and those were always grudge matches. And Maryland was up by I think twenty or twenty one points uh, in sometime in the first half, and. And Shashevsky called his team over and, and said, "All right, we're, we're completely stopping our offense." And they looked at each other and said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "We're not running any more plays. Just take the ball down the court and, and, and move it around and, and try to get a bucket." And when one of the players objected and said, "You know, coach, we, we got this," and he said, "We can't do any worse than we're doing right now. Let's <laughs> let's just let's just go out and, and play some street ball." And uh, and they they came back. Uh, came back to Maryland and then went on. I think they went, that was one of their uh, one of their championships. I, well, but, I remember them coming. Didn't they have a furious comeback against Maryland? Where I, I don't know if there was like a, in the JJ Redick era, but wasn't Duke Williams. down okay, like down eight or ten or eleven with like a minute left or something, and then came they, back and won? They, they made up a they made up a ten point deficit. Uh, Williams made up a ten point deficit in less than a minute. That's right. It was it was Jay Williams. Jay Williams and and they were that was. That was one of the games where the Maryland fans were throwing batteries at the uh, small batteries at the uh, families of the Duke players that were in, that they identified in the stands. <laughs> so um, always a classy, cla- cla- classy, always, always classy. I just wanted to, I, I, I wanted to make a note that Urban Meyer, of course, got fired yeah. uh, last night at the uh, at Jacksonville. Uh, did you did you hear the story about about the kicker? This kicker claims been, that he this kicked may have been them. the final straw, or the last blow, or the last kick. He, he's the kicker that they had at the pre-start of the preseason. He's now playing for another team. Alleges that Myers came up to him in the preseason, and I think the I think the guy had missed something or had missed a kick or something at, at some point during practice or the previous game. And he walks up to him as the guy's stretching and says, "You know, kick the blankety blank ball, you dip blank," and then he kicks him. <laughs> On the ground, doing his stretches, and you know the player said, "I mean, it wasn't as hard as he could have kicked me, but it wasn't a love tap. I would rate it as about a five, but it <laughs> it, it it wasn't you know it wasn't a kind of nudge. It was a kick. And you know I, when I first heard the story, I thought that is so that that sounds unbelievable, but based on everything else I'm hearing out of that team, maybe not." Unreal. That is unreal. Yeah, and I mean, you had you had the picture surface where he's uh, you know pretty much cheating on his wife. You have like the situation where he doesn't fly back with the team from London or something, yeah. and and you have that whole thing. You have this whole thing that came out last week where he was like challenging all of his assistants and telling them they're all losers and none of them have ever won anything, and and they're going to have yes. to prove. That that uh, you know, basically, they're going to have to re-interview with him uh, to to keep their jobs. Otherwise, he's going to fire all of them. 
and then now he, now this thing comes out. I mean, Jesus, guy didn't make it. He barely made it halfway through the season in his first year. I, I don't, you know. Well, uh, the only the only thing I can compare that with is the less steckle disaster at the Minnesota Vikings in whatever it was, eighty two or eighty three. Bud Grant, Bud Grant retires. They had gone, I don't know, they, I, I can't remember what their record was the, the year before. And for some inexplicable reason, and I don't know whether Bud had any, any role in this, I, I just don't. But for some inexplicable reason, the Viking management team, who were at that point pretty stupid, um, interview this, this guy, one of the assistants, Steckel, who, they said, ah, this is the corporate face that we need. And this is a guy who was a, you know, fast talker, you know, said all the right corporate speak stuff, claimed to have been a, you know, combat veteran in Vietnam and a Marine Reserve officer and a bunch of other things. And so they put him in charge. And I remember my, my parents talking about this and then, and my father would say, well, I, I'm just going to leave. But, but Bud had, had made a request. A requirement that whoever got named as coach had to keep the assistants for at least a year. And so my father stayed on for one year and it was an absolute disaster. And it, it I, I never really understood how a coach could lose a football team, but, but, but this guy managed to. It sounds like, you know, they went, I think they won one game in his season. He was fired, uh, at the end of the year. Just, but, but a very similar kinds of stuff. You know, screaming at players and instituting all kinds of Mickey Mouse stuff, and really having very little concept of of, of pro football. But you know, a good, relatively good-looking guy. You know, who you know stepped into a role that that he was totally unprepared for. I I didn't think Meyer was totally unprepared. He he won games in in you know college at a high level and, and high-profile programs. And you would think that that would have given him some smarts about things like showing up at his own bar with some, what was she, 24, basically giving him a lap dance. <laughs> you know, you, you would think that would give him some smarts about that or smarts about, about threatening his assistants or, or about kicking, kicking players on the ground <laughs> while they're stretching. It, it's, it's just astounding. They think they're and above the law. Going through some kind of meltdown. They're, they're kind of above the law. Well, it's a, by the way, what? No, no, no. How, this, uh, is, this is individual. How when when you see something last week, and you know, I, they start. I mean, the NFL likes to have a certain amount of street cred. You know, they like that stuff going. Uh, the Raiders, I don't know, I forgot who they played last week. Where they they run out on the field and they start jumping up and down. Kansas, the, Kansas City. Yeah, and the, and the other team's insignia. And in the first play of the game, the guy throws a pick six. I mean, how does does, does that? Does the, does the coach say go ahead and jump on the insignia, or is he sitting there going, "What are these guys doing?" Um, if I were I, if I was a coach, I would I would not allow that. I'm pretty sure that they they didn't. Um, that, that rivalry is that rivalry is long term, and you know Kansas City is appreciably better than than Oakland. Um, I don't understand why you would give that kind of motivation to your opponents. But um, I, you know, I think that was a player thing. I don't think that was. I don't think that was a coach plan thing. And if you know, at some point, I think your coach. And again, they're they're an interim head coach. But I think your your coach sits down with everybody and says, "Look, 
you guys are you guys can't be stupid and this is this is stupid why would you why would you give them more motivation come out and kick you know you know kick the heck out of us why is uh so is Gruden suing or what's what, what is he he's been yes, he is yes he is that was actually one of my topics uh, for discussion this morning the Gruden lawsuit it, it's fascinating to me because they remove him from the Oakland position and, and that whole that whole chain of events is is uh, I think we've talked about it a little bit here before but that whole chain of events apparently starts with Demarius Smith who is the president of the NFL Players Association who is coming up for election and is in a very hard fought election he's going he's got a real possibility of losing his job because of player dissatisfaction with the collective bargaining agreement and and some of the things that are in it I'm not sure he's really done that bad a job but but dealing with players on stuff like that on economics it, it's a very touchy subject and it's very hard for a lot of them to grasp what what is you know what got negotiated they tend to most players in my experience dealing with them tend to focus on how much money I'm getting from paycheck to paycheck if I'm getting more money then everything's okay and if I'm not getting more money then everything is terrible um, the, the Smith was was up for a hard election so somebody at the NFL office I assume it was somebody at the NFL office to help Smith leaks this this is my theory anyway leaks these emails from Gruden when he was at ESPN talking to uh, Bruce Allen at the Redskins calling Smith you know say he's got fat lips and uh, some other you know racially derogatory comments or racially insensitive comments or everything or phrase it and then and then in the emails he also refers to the uh, to uh Goodell in very derogatory terms involving you know slurs for gay activity and things like that but the main focus at least at least what it looks like to me was to try to help Smith because he you know people are going to feel sorry for him and he's being criticized by the guy who's now a head coach and Smith ultimately wins the election those six emails or whatever they were get released the the, the Raiders turn around and I I think basically say you know John you, you become radioactive and and they fire him presumably for the breach of the personal conduct uh, clause in his contract and he's got a 90 million dollar deal or something like that yeah. right yeah, I mean it was it was it was substantial. So they fire him, but he doesn't sue Oakland or uh, or uh, Vegas. He doesn't sue the Vegas team. And you got to remember that you know the NFL is a is a collection of independent football clubs organized under the umbrella of this collective bargaining agreement. So he cuts a deal of some kind with the Raiders. And, and gets a payout of some kind, presumably in exchange for a covenant not to sue Oak, or, uh, the Vegas organization. But the NFL, and I, I, I don't understand this, presumably somebody at, at the Park Avenue offices in New York City was calling the Raiders and saying, for God's sake, if you're going to cut him loose, we need to, we need to put a, let's, it, it, it's, it's a, Total, it's a total fiasco for the NFL. The the policeman on it with the the Twitter 
saying that you're next with the target on him or something like that. Oh yeah, I, I mean know. for him being able to pull that, that back and copy Kentucky or wherever it was. I see. I, I'm not in the in the in the camp. None of us, you know, like we all have uh, that somehow if it gets out there, you know, you're banned from everything. But and Johnny Unitas was kind of the head of that group. And he did everything he possibly could to screw with those guys. Why? I mean, there's so much money in football now. I mean, one one guy's salary would would take care of the whole problem for all fifty of those people. Easy. And and, well, then, and when Johnny Unitas died, all he did was say how much he he, he mourned his loss. He, he didn't. <laughs> it sure didn't look to me like he was mourning his loss. Part of the part of the reason for that, and and I I mean I I was an agent and and working when a lot of these decisions were were made. So you have you have two fights. The first is the union. The union, for, for a decade and a half, maybe longer, um, had uh, w- wanted nothing to do with the retired players. This was not the league. This was the union that was saying, "I don't know these. We don't know these guys anything. Our job is to get money for us, and and we don't know. We don't know the retired guys anything. They had their they had their chance. They didn't they didn't take it." We're, we're taking our money now. Um, there may have been a racial element to it. I, I, I kind of got that impression when I heard people speak at the, at the agents meetings about this. Maybe not. But, but there definitely was, there definitely was a, you, you know, we're getting ours. And, and the rest of you can, you know, can just. Hey, Lou, this is going to be a longer story. You know that, this is going to be a longer story. Let's go to break and finish this up and get back because I have some. Questions about that as well, not just just general questions. But SP Futures up thirty three, Nasdaq Futures up one fifteen. We're continuing yesterday's huge rally after the Fed decision. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment. Or a magazine duck. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox. At luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right now, right now, right now. Well, I'm Tom Howley, just Brett Weber on the board. SP Futures up 34, NSA Futures up 117, and we're flipping to the March today. So right now, uh, it's probably the last we, last we speak of the, uh, SPZ, the Spizzes, will be on the SPHs, uh, 
uh, totally as of probably, uh, well, yeah, I'm going to say 11 o'clock today. We, they just open today and then they stop. Uh, uh, Dow futures up 228. Over in Europe, we've got DAX up 270, one three quarter percent. Uh, FTSE up 73, that's 1%. Kick around up 107, 1.5% of these guys. Uh, catching up on uh, the Fed decision yesterday because they were probably already closed. Not probably, they already closed. Nikkei up 606, that's 2%. Shanghai up 27.7%. Hang Seng up 54.2%. We'll explain all this later in the show, how this, in one man's opinion, how this all is working or not working. Uh, Dow yesterday was up 383. S&P up 75 after being down 25 or 30. A huge move, huge swing. Literally trillions of dollars were added to the market value of the place yesterday in, uh, in a tough two-hour period. NASDAQ up 327. Uh, that was 2%. Bonds. Bonds are uh, 1.45. They actually made a move yesterday, but then they're coming the other way again today. The bond up, up three uh, basis points, minus 0.33. Japan on change of uh, positive 0.044. Oil. Up 24 cents, 71.11. Brent up 28 cents, 74.16. Natural gas up 12 cents, 3.93. Still can't make it back to four bucks. We've got gold up 18 dollars, 17.83. Silver up 60 cents, 22.15. The silver continues is fairly wild movement between like 20 and a half and uh, and 22 and a half without really going either direction, just back and forth in the dollar. Copper up 13 cents, 4.31. And we have Bitcoin down 39 bucks, 49,216. We're quiet there this morning. Matty, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? 38 minutes past the hour. Good morning uh, to everyone out there. We're off to a pretty good start here on a Thursday morning uh, as far as uh, travel times are concerned. No issues at all on the Edens. Uh, we're seeing some traffic build up on the Kennedy near O'Hare, but no accidents to report. Eisenhower is looking good, as is the Stevenson. Uh, we do have a crash on the Tri-State, I-294 northbound side just before 82nd Street. The 82nd, 83rd Street toll plaza, it says here, that crash is blocking the left lane. And that's causing solid traffic delays on the northbound side of the Tri-State uh, down in the southwestern suburbs. So that's our slowest moving area right now. Dan Ryan, I-57 and the Bishop Ford are all clear, as is Lakeshore Drive. Off the expressways, uh, we have uh, some malfunctioning traffic lights all over the place, especially in the suburbs, likely due to the wind, uh, high wind gusts uh, that have been going on for the last uh, 24 hours or so. Uh, we also have a crash uh, out in the western suburbs, Army Trail Road at Glen Ellen Road. There's an accident. But everything else looking good out there. Weather today, uh, our high already happened. At about 2 a.m. this morning, we were at 60. Uh, temperatures kind of gradually dropping throughout the day. Our afternoon temperature are going to be in the upper 40s uh, with lots of sunshine, uh, kind of around 47, 48 degrees for our high this afternoon. Right now, it is overcast and 53 degrees downtown with high winds. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 63 today. Right now, it's clear and 39. In sports, the Blackhawks beat the Capitals last night at the United Center 5-4 to in overtime. Uh, this was after they um, honored Mark andre Fleury as becoming the third goalie in NHL history to record 500 or more wins. Uh, so congratulations to him. Coyotes lost to the Rangers 3-2. to And in college hoops, uh, Arizona beat up on Northern Colorado 101-76. to Jason. Uh, Lou, just on the, the subject of, uh, you know, the old people, old people, the older guys, most of them now dead, uh, who played in the 50s and so for football. Um, I had an occasion, a very nice occasion, by the way. I was at one of these Notre Dame functions, 
And I ended up, we went out afterward, uh, Tom Tully is a, a friend, and he knew all these guys, right? He was big friends of uh, George Conner and Ziggy Zarapsky, all those old Notre Dame dudes. And, uh, well, George Conner was a, was a bear for a reason. I think he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, isn't he, George Conner? I believe he is. Um, yes, I think, um, I think that's right. So we're at this place, and just so happened I find myself sitting right next to George Conner. So we had a really nice discussion for an hour and a half, nice man. Uh, he had, he, uh, he was a real big man, but he would, he was shrinking at the time. But, uh, you tell just by looking at the guy that he was, he was, he was something back in the day. And he says to me, Tommy, how many surgeries do you think I've had? And I go, well, I have no idea. He says like 27, and none of them were paid for by Notre Dame or the Bears. And how do you, you know, contrast that, Lou, when you have people like, I mean, I heard just bits and pieces of Herb Adderley's story where he had a, Whatever pension he did have, there was a little something he had in his last few years. He had to cash in for a knee surgery. What happens if, uh, you know, say Dick Butkus, you know, I'm just making this up, is not covered by, uh, he's not 65 yet, but he has to get a new knee, and he sends the bill to the friggin' Bears. What do they do? Throw in a circular file and pee on it or what? I mean, under, under what world do they think that they're somehow not liable for that bill? Well, this, this goes back to my discussion with you and extended discussions that we've had on the show about injuries and, and how this stuff gets compensated and the drug, the drug issues that, that were or the, in that lawsuit that got filed. But, geez, Tom, it got filed before I left Chicago. So in 2017, I haven't seen any movement on that case or any, any formal movement on that case in ages. Um, so the short answer is this. The, the original collective bargaining agreements that were in place with the Players Association back in the, in the 60s when it started to take shape had, I mean, I mean, there just wasn't enough money in pro football to, to make people worry about, you know, long-term pension funds and, and injury uh, funds and things like that. The understanding was you played football mainly for your own recreation. You got some money. The big stars got some money out of it. But, but you know, every even Francis Tarkenton, for heaven's sakes, uh, with Minnesota and, and any number of the Chuck Foreman, those guys, they all had second jobs. You know, when, when the football season was over, they went back to, to doing, I mean, Nick Tinglehoff, who's a Hall of Fame guy, was an accountant, uh, and, you know, started working for his accounting firm. So there just wasn't enough money to, to bicker about or fight about. These guys were getting were getting relatively low amounts of money, especially for the for, for what they started bringing in in television revenue. There was a lag time. And and from the, the 60s, 50s, 60s, and even into the well into the 70s, there, there was no interest on the part of the union to, to push for any kind of long-term or heavy-duty health benefit plan that extended past the immediate care of, of the players that were that were on the field. Now that started changing in the '80s, and the first, you know, that's why you had those, all that those uh, strikes and uh, work stoppages in the NFL in the 1980s. There were three or four of them. Uh, finally, you know, total shutdown of the season, and and then they won the they won the big court case in uh, in Minneapolis in '92. The McNeil uh, Reggie White case, and and that 
that focused or gave the union enough power to begin negotiating for some for some decent money and and getting a, what a, what they thought was a reasonable share of the of the revenue that was being generated and then you know that that opened the door for for concerns about things other than the immediate players in the field but you know Gene Upshaw who was the president of the union for a long time you know 15 20 years famously said we don't know that we don't know the retired players anything and 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 that was their you know he was the head of the union that was their direction they did not make that a priority in their in their negotiations they they looked at, at taking care of the guys that were on the field at the time the retired players could take care of themselves and it really wasn't until sports illustrated and uh, a few other places started doing stories on the damage that football was doing to people long term that that this this started to become an issue they they and that was you know about the late 90s okay but Lou, I, so, I, I i absolutely i remember that conversation and uh by the way, I remember just about all our conversations. I, I uh, I'm with you, but I'm saying in terms of attitude and, and machismo or machismo or how you pronounce it, I, I get it. You know, Gene Upshaw's got the big hunk of testosterone like everybody else. Screw those guys. But, uh, let, let me let me throw one other thing to you. The owners, the management teams, do not view the players the way you and I view them. Okay, but okay, I'm I'm, I'm trying to transfer transfer our conversation here because it's pretty interesting, at least to me. Uh, if you and I go to work at, uh, Matty Weber's factory, and, there, and it's pretty noisy in there, and, uh, all of a sudden, ten years from now, five or six people are, are markedly losing their hearing, and all of a sudden we have hearing, we, we have redress, I think. How is it, how did these guys have none? Not against, you, you don't have redress against the company. You have, you have redress through the workers' compensation fund and workers' compensation system. Which does get back to the company at some point, right? Well, the company takes out insurance. So okay, I, I the get company, it. The company takes out an insurance, workers' comp insurance policy, workers' compensation insurance policy. And, and interestingly enough, that, even that chief was not within the, in the view of, of team management until, uh, oh shoot. Who was the, who was the African American quarterback, the black quarterback? For the Redskins that won their Super Bowl, Doug Williams. Big t- Williams. Yeah. T- Doug Williams falls off a treadmill at the Redskins training facility and wrecks himself. And and you know the agent goes to the Redskins and says, "I want you know you, you got to make good on a salary." And they said, "No, we're releasing him." And they said, "Fine, we're filing a workers' compensation claim for like five million dollars or whatever whatever the value of the contract was that they could that they could file under uh, under DC." I think it was D.C. rules, maybe Virginia, but anyway. And all of a sudden, the league looked around and said, oh, I guess we've got to start treating these players like, like they're real employees. And so the workers' compensation system swung into action to compensate players who were injured, and even for injuries that extended you know, years past the, the, the end of their playing day. So, so recovery is possible there. This is what made that one of the things that made that concussion settlement come out the way it did, and, and the CTE settlement come out the way it did, because the owners had a very good legal argument that in fact the clubs weren't liable for any of this stuff that it needed to be paid out under workers' compensation, because that was the that was the proper the proper vehicle for this, 
not to mention the causation issues. Well, but so, your but so, your workman's cap is adjusted by how dangerous your place is, right? Uh, generally, well, the insurance rates are adjusted. Yes, I'm by saying, that, but the payouts are not. The payouts are according to a standard table. Right, but you're. I mean, how? But how? This idea. I mean, I one of my uh, good buddies. He hasn't been on the show. An attorney, and one of your one of your crowd, uh, Lou. Um, his stepson is playing football in Chicago, right? Back when they actually cared about having a team. When I was there, they didn't have much of a team. But the kid uh, tears his ACL. But you know, unlike the uh, you know the, today's world, I mean, when when would when does like the first ACL surgery was what like twenty five thirty years? Ago? I mean, you you can live easily without an ACL, right? You just don't want to go downstairs. Am I, am I correct on that to some extent? Uh, so in other words, you yeah. can put a brace on and you can play without an ACL. People, people walked, yeah. People, people did not get ACL surgery for many years. And uh, so this kid, he's got the brace on a couple of weeks later, and he's playing ball for you know, for University of Chicago. And he's thinking about about not, maybe not getting it fixed. And my buddy says to him, "Hey, you're getting it fixed, and you're getting it fixed while you're here." Well, they're paying for it because once you graduate and out the door and don't think you need it, a year from now, if we send them the bill, they're not going to pay it. I'm going to pay it, and I don't want to pay it. <laughs> Basically, uh, I mean, his, he, he thought that once the University of Chicago felt that once once you leave, if you don't, if it's, if it's not bad enough to get fixed while you're here, we're not paying for it three years from now. If all of a sudden you fall going down the stairs and break your nose, uh, I mean, how do these people think they're off the hook, Lou? I mean, I, you know, well, they think they're off. They think they're off the hook because because. The ulti- again, they're not looking at the players the way you and I look at them. They look at players as capital assets. And when they break down or get wrecked, if they can't be fixed, they get pushed, they get pushed out to the side and we don't want to throw any more money at a capital asset that's not producing. And that's, that's, honestly, that's the mindset. So, so, yeah, you know, and they don't want to. They don't want to open the door because if they fix Dick Butkus's knee or they fix, you know, somebody else's back or hip, then suddenly there's going to be a million guys lined up at the doorway. Anybody who ever put on a Chicago Bears uniform is going to line up at the doorway and say, "I got hurt playing for you twenty, thirty years ago, fifteen years ago, and here I am, and you need to fix me." Well. Let me ask you. I know you know. I mean, we're, not, we're maybe beating this up too much. Substantial amounts. But, but if if you and I are uh, are working in a, in a in a chicken factory, uh, and all of a sudden we we retire, and, and five years later everybody's got serious carpal tunnel problems and has to get it fixed. It. I mean, I, I don't know the details of who pays what where, but you do you you have well, that, some. You that have, is the detail, Tom. That's what drives. That's what drives the train. But I mean, you get it. You can get it fixed. I mean, I don't really care if I get if it gets paid by workman's comp or somebody or by insurance. I, I'm just not out there not being able to move my hand. Basically, bleep out of luck, which is where they left these guys. Yeah. Well, it, and, and in fact, you might have you might have a difficult time getting a work. I can't remember how long workers' comp extends after. Yeah. I mean, if you if you you have to be able to reach back to show that your injury was the result of you know your your employer. In your job, and and I I don't know how long you're allowed to reach back for that. There's a statute of limitations on those claims, obviously. But but you know one of the big things that they negotiated, they started negotiating in the late '90s, and you start to see this in the in the NFL collective bargaining agreements. 
are funds being set aside for retired players whose whose injuries might surface ten years after they after they uh, stop playing. Right, so you what, start seeing that coming in in the nineties, and then you start seeing it in the collective bargaining agreement. I think it's two thousand six. You start seeing a real push on that, and then in two thousand eleven, a bigger push, and then in this last one, a bigger push for for putting aside money for you know pensions, for long term care, for uh, other kinds of injuries, and and remember, this is something that's being done effectively as an act of grace by the union and the league. They don't owe these guys this money. Well, I mean, in, in, in some people's opinion, they, they don't. Uh, theirs, surely. But but uh, let's uh, extend it one step further. we got a few minutes. Uh, I, I don't this is a zero, okay, so this is a zero-sum game, and the players understand, the active players understand this very well. Every dollar that goes into that pot for CTE funds or long-term care stuff or or whatever hip replacements, every dollar that goes into that fund is a dollar that doesn't come to them. Oh, I, I get it. But, how do, but now let's extend. Everybody we we talk about, I mean, uh, on the show, surely are people that obviously the listeners know, and uh, you know, we talk about professional players, older people, whatever. But clearly, you played one hell of a lot of football before you make it to the pros. And the colleges so far are, are dodging this pretty good, I think. Are pretty well. My English correct. Uh, one one of the guys I don't I didn't know the person, but I know the big family that lived in Evergreen Park. He's played basketball with one of the guys who joined the army. I never really saw him again, but I'm good friends with the. They were a bunch of brothers. One of them I didn't know evidently played football either. I don't know where he went. Evergreen Park or Brother Rice or someplace. Uh, and he went to Penn, and I you know I didn't think you know well Penn's an Ivy League, right? Well, it turns out the guy is kind of a mess later in life ends up taking his own life. And the family's like, just on the, for, you know, yucks and giggles, they send his brain off to wherever the, you know, wherever the hell you go. Harvard or probably Harvard, but Beaver's got the big one too. Yeah, they send the brain off someplace. Turns out the guy's got, uh, uh, well, he's dead. So serious case of the, whatever it is, what's what's CTE? Uh, Yes, cumulative trauma. Encephalopathy, I think. Yeah. Okay, so, so now what? He he didn't he didn't play in the NFL. I mean, there's got to be people yeah. that are affected by this from college, and then what? And the college is going to say, "Well, here we took care of him. He must have had the wrong helmet and had a, had a crummy high school coach." I mean, you know, it, it, everybody's pointing fingers all over the damn place. Uh, the, the, I guess at the end of the day, you get nothing and like it, right? At that at that point. It, it's impossible to establish causation. This was another argument in the NFL concussion lawsuit, and it's a reason the players settled for the amount that they did, because because the NFL had, had their litigation strategy was, first of all, to drag this thing on so that these guys started dying off, and secondly, to, to throw every roadblock in front of recovery. And there were some legitimate roadblocks. Uh, throw every roadblock in front of recovery that, that the players could, could have to deal with. And and that's why they that's why the settlement was was set the way it was. Um, in in a case of in a case of, of you know traumatic brain injury, if you if you're the NFL, you point the finger at the college program. You know, if you're the college program, you point the finger at the NFL. You know, who, who knows school? how many concussions yeah. these kids had when they were in high school? Yeah, and and and, and 
continued to play. I did. I got I got at least at least one concussion when I was in high school and didn't and didn't come off the field. Um, you know this, which probably explains my. I was, say, so I was gonna say so that's what happened. You know, yes, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> um, the, but but in terms of who pays for this, you, you're, somebody's got to to step up and designate a fund in within the union within the union bargaining context. To, to, to take care of these guys because the state agencies, the state workers' compensation programs just aren't set up for this kind of long-term, you know, degenerative uh, injury and assessing that and valuing it properly. So it has to be done by the league and by the union. And, and I'll be honest with you, the only reason this got done is because of public pressure on, on the NFL because, because they, again, this is the entertainment business. If we're not taking care of these people and people don't, don't like us, then they won't spend money on watching our programs well, Lou, or our you, tickets or whatever. Lou, if you, and, if you decided and, to, uh, sorry to interrupt, if you, if you decided, because we're running out of time, but if you decided that you're going to pay all the, all the, and I'll use my alma mater as a, as a whipping boy, if you were, if you were going to, Tell the people at Notre Dame that college football now is it during the season, from you know whatever the hell you're at August through Christmas, you're going to pay the uh, the football team three thousand dollars a month or something, just as a you know just a because they can't have a job on can't whatever it is you're going to decide you're going to pay them a number uh, just to kind of even this out a little bit as the coaches are getting ten mil. If you were to stand up as Lou Michaels and say. Okay, but you know what we're going to do, guys? This three thousand a month, we're going to take twelve hundred of that, and we're going to put it into a pot for any any of you guys that gets injured here at Notre Dame and has to have has work has needs work done or has mental problems when you're forty. I think that would be like a fart in church, Lou. I don't I don't think those guys want would want any part of that. Yet I would think that that's clearly something that should be done. This this was this was part of the issue that the union faced when it was uh, when it was putting these these clauses in originally. Again, economics for for most players means how much money is in my paycheck, and and if it's more money, then that's good. And if you and, and I, I was present for some of these discussions with the agents who were furious that the that the union was was moving money out of their clients' pockets into into these funds for some undefined thing that their clients you know because their clients who are mostly overhormoned young men with poor impulse control you know their their their, their clients were, were telling them look man I, I don't even know if I'll be alive when I'm 40 I want the money now well it's also I'm going I'm to lob this one out there let's not take it too far it's also somewhat of a, a class thing uh, absolutely because you're going to because deep down in your heart of hearts if you're a Notre Dame, if you're anywhere, grab any place. If you graduate from Alabama, for God's sake, I mean, assuming you do, you're going to assume that you have a job, okay? And that you're in, part of your job is going to be you're going to get hospitalization paid for by somebody. Now, it's, it's obviously part of your compensation, so, but in the end, you're, you're confident that other people are going to have to pay the, the, the uh, in fact, the, the old the old duck ju- just died. His name was uh, what was his name? Uh, I'll think of it in a second. The it's an economic externality. I'm, and I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna say that 
you know, I don't know the man, but I'm going to say that whatever surgeries Dick Butkus had to repair his knee went through, if he's if he's working for a lose law firm or PTI Securities, that insurance company is paying for it. And in my mind, it's just like somebody who pollutes the air and you have to paint your house, uh, you know, th- three times a decade instead of instead of two. It's 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 sprinkling those kinds of of costs among other people. It's called an economic externality. So I'm going to say most of these people figure if I have to have something done when I'm 45, so what? The insurance will just cover. It. What do I care? Instead of saying that's Notre Dame's problem or that's Marist High School's problem or Loyola's problem, right? I mean, it, you're essentially back into this this pool where we're kind of we're kind of half-assed socialists, half-assed capitalists, and half-assed we don't know what we are. This is our economic system, right? Well, I, I don't. I don't know what goes through them. I mean, the, the guys that I represented, what went through their mind was, how much money am I getting in my paycheck? Right. And and why should I give money? Why should I give money for a bunch of guys who who are gone? Number one, and and need it. And why should I give money or put money into a fund that that might protect me in the future when I want to spend the money now? This is the this is the mentality of a lot of these guys. Well, real quick, I mean, if you listen, if you look look at look at what's his face at Jacksonville State, uh, uh, Deion Sanders, he made a comment. He made a comment to his players uh, this week, I think, to the effect of, "If I'd known what I know now about how football is a business and how to look at money and how to manage it, I'd have saved myself twenty million dollars." Well, yeah, I don't think he was. I don't think he was exaggerating. Well, now you have. They don't, they don't look at it that way. Okay, but now I, I, Matt, Matt and I know a guy who says, I spent 90% of my money I spent on women, booze, and fast cars. The other 10% I wasted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that's an unreasonable for a lot, as I said, overhormoned young men with poor impulse control. Um, and yeah, well, <laughs> that's why, that's why it's essential. That describes all of us at least a few days of our life. <laughs> it describes, it describes a lot of us, but, but the bottom line is that's, that's what the agents are there for, and that's what you're trying to. That's what you're trying to manage, and and again, when you're talking to these guys as players, a lot of them, a lot of them are, are aware that they are their average length of their career is less than is less than four years. Well, and I mean, they they understand that they got to get as much money as they could possibly get now. But I mean, how and, would, but Lou, you can. You know, it's funny we just mentioned that. One of the one of the nicest guys, well, that I knew was a football player, and ended up being I think he just retired as Supreme Court Justice in Illinois. Bob Thomas, he played for the Irish, played for the Bears, and when when Bob got his first his first, I think he went out and bought, he got his bonus when he got drafted. He went out and bought at the then one of those Datsun two sixty Zs. It was, the, it was yes, the, and it was it was a nice car driving around. I'm sure it, it, today he he might be telling his grandkid, you know, if I would have taken. Taking the twenty five hundred for that Datsun and put it in, you know, God knows what Berkshire Hathaway, <laughs> you know, I'd be rich. But but you got to live too, Lou. I mean, you know, you got to live oh, too. No, I, I I understand. I understand it, and I understand. I understand that if you look at the economics and the numbers, and you know that your career could be cut short by you stepping off a curb, you know, and into a unrepaired Chicago pothole tomorrow. Yeah, you you want you want that money in your pocket. I get it. Well, Lou, take care of yourself. Stay out of the wind, buddy. Go go retrieve your lawn for you. Are you filing a claim? Uh, no, it? I'm just going to, I guess, the wind? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the wind might pay. You never know. SP Futures up 31. There's that Futures up 102. Be right back. 
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Mr. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 29 and a quarter now. They've been up over 30. SP Futures up 91. We had a huge run up yesterday uh, that we've been talking about, and uh, we'll talk about more. John, how are you? I'm fine, Tom. And yourself? All right. I hope you brought like five or six really good bonds to buy, like Dan Janitas always does. <laughs> Give Dan my best, too. I look forward to hearing him next week. Yeah, we might do it. Have, have to do a double Dan next week because. Uh, <laughs> He uh, he had he had a bunch of stuff he wanted to talk about, but he had a um, some kind of a test. He's fine. Uh, he had to go out, off for today, so got to be be someplace early. When you get old, you have to have these tests, right, Jan? I mean, it's, tell uh, me about it. Huh? I keep telling you. And, uh, anyway, but he's fine, and uh, he'll he'll be back. We might have to, I told him we might, we might. I said we'd do the double day, and he goes, "I'm up for it whenever you need me." So he, he goes, "I got stuff." So let's see. He was all he was all anxious to talk about the. The uh, the Fed thing yesterday. So, but of course he he's he's beside himself. The fact that he can't be here this morning because he's dying to talk about it. And uh, big move. And I I uh, I don't know, John. I, I, I watched this, and again, this is kind of in this is sort of in my wheelhouse a little bit. Obviously, it's what I've studied my whole life. So it's it's you know, there's other stuff that I see happening that I don't know anything what's going on. I don't pick up you know like some stuff like Lou does or you do. And last night I uh, I was had a fortune. To uh, meet a couple people, maybe it would have been an interesting night for you to be at the uh, 
the Tripoli because uh, a couple of judges meet one like one night a week, and I stopped by once in a while. But last night was like the uh, it was the, the big crowd, and and every every one of these guys, <laughs> I mean, well, half of them are retired, but they're attorneys or judges that knew this that were the clerk for this guy and that guy, and boy, the information you get is really something. I mean, every, every all these guys know know a lot about some area that you would never, you know, you, you, you just listen, you know, and and, it, and, it's, and it's amazing you know, some of the history of, of some of the public officials and these people work for them, or this guy was really bright, and this guy was dumb as a writer. I mean, just, I mean it's, it's, it's stunning what you hear. And uh, uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's quite a group. I mean, we're going to miss all those guys when they're gone, boy. And, you know, and uh, anyway, but I, I wanted to uh, just mention a little bit when I, I watched the, I don't, I don't even know what level I want to even talk about this Fed thing yesterday, but uh, the news conference and the idea that how is it, Jan? I mean, uh, you know, I'll go back to the quick story about the exceptionally attractive net that I noticed. Young lady used to work at Sirius, and she was from Romania, and asked me how that in here the, the news reminds her of the news in Romania when it was a communist country. It was like it, like it always toned down. Like you never got the full story. That everybody was all in some, you know, afraid to to speak the truth. And then, then well, as soon as it wasn't, she goes, "It was unbelievable." They were swearing in the paper, calling people this and that. She goes, it, "It was was you know not that she liked that part, but she goes, it was much more refreshing. You at least found out what people thought about somebody, and it was actual news." She goes, "What's going on here?" And this was, this had to be ten years ago, and and and. I, I've listened to those questions from this guy yesterday. Jen, I, I know they're news people. We had Shirley Atkinson on one day, and she said, don't th- don't expect them you know, to be you, coming when asking like really, really deep economic questions. They're just news people that are so happy to be there that they're just going to they're they're keep putting a softball one in there. And, 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 but, Jen, this, this, is, this is serious stuff. When you, when you have a guy who comes on and talks about how, first thing he says is how, is how concerned he is for how inflation affects regular people. Well, that was that was that was it for that. Now, then you got to the real the real thing was how do we keep asset prices up for the people who really count? And if I thought you could do it forever, I'd roll with it. I just I just get along the assets like everybody else and and, and assume that we're all going to be rich. Okay, you know if we all buy stock and nobody ever sells and we keep our hands in the boat, we'll all be rich. Except. John, I know that never happens. I mean, it'll happen for a while, but it, there's an end game there, and the end game's always bad. And when people get hurt at the, and, and, and at the end, more people get hurt than get benefited along the way, unless you were in the know. So, I have a different view of this, and I, and I, I look at this guy, and and I'm watching. They're talking about this taper, but then he's saying we're gonna have, we have three interest rate. John, the the rate is zero to point five percent. Okay, and we've got a 10% inflation number, for God's sake. And they're talking over the course of the next year, which now we're middle of December, the next 12 and a half months, we might be at, what, one and a quarter? 0.75 to one and a quarter? And that and that's going to make a difference? John, I'm listening to this. What, what, these people think I'm a third grader or what? I mean, what are we doing? And if you want if you want a sign of inflation... Look what happened to the market after he said that. It went flat. There's your inflation. <laughs> Duh. I mean, I mean, right? I mean, you think all of a sudden every one of these companies is all worth, you know, 
forty thirty billion dollars more than they were where they were at eleven o'clock in the morning. I mean, it, it, why, how is this blown by people that we spend so much money in education, and it seems like there's a few of us now, but there's not very many that are saying, "What are you guys doing?" Your Romanian friend Tom really, I think, nails it, and I think only somebody who lived in an iron curtain country and watched what passed for. TV entertainment or TV news could really, you know, look at what we're seeing today dispassionately and, and kind of call it a spade a spade. But, you know, at, at any news conference where anything like this is, is being challenged, or, I mean, I, I use that word kind of ironically here, um, the, 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 as you say, the, the, the press representatives are so glad to be there. They are not going to, first of all, they're not going to, ask a question that's out of their league where they don't already know the answer and, and humiliate the person they're, they're you know, correcting it to. Why not? They're your, they're your employee, for God's sake. Right, but, but their main concern and the, and the concern of their outfits that control them and are paying their salaries is that they get invited to the next one. And if you, if you start acting like a gadfly and you know pulling the curtain back to show what's really going on here, nobody will want you anywhere near you know the powers that are calling these news conferences and turning them into, you know, love fests instead of you know places where you can hack your way to the truth of what's really being talked about here. That isn't what these things are designed to do. And a journalist who took it upon him or herself to challenge that is just going to be ostracized. You won't get any. You won't get any anything published. You won't get a job. You you will be you know scorched earth for the rest of your life in, in journalism. So they, they, they take the approach, well, well, we'll ask softball questions or we'll ask questions that aren't softball and we'll get non-responsive answers and we won't do follow-ups and we won't point out how terrible these answers are or how completely idiotic the answers are in many cases because that would kind of show that we're trying to muscle our way in where we're not supposed to be doing that at all. That's not what journalists do in this country. Of course, somebody who lives lived in a repressive system, you know, knows that's what allows a repressive system to continue its control. When you don't have journalists who are there to poke holes through stuff and challenge the official narrative, um, if you're there to enforce the official narrative, well, you know, who needs journalists at all? You can get anybody to ask softball questions and and you know gobble up softball answers and and never call anybody on it. The public doesn't know any better. So, well, I'm, the thing that. Uh, well, there's a few things that you, you sort of see, or at least I do, and you know, and, and your vision is not always clear, obviously. But it, the, the thing that one of the things that kind of roused me a little bit is that if you talk to the right wingers or the left wingers, it's, it's always the other side's fault. It's those left wing journalists, or they're with Biden, or these right wing journalists are with Trump. The fact is, neither side is answering, asking the right questions, John. And, and, and I, even though they're it, it's 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 almost like we're, we're we're willing to fight against each other and make you know outrageous left versus right claims and, and with all this you know v, you know uh, vilification going on and yet we stay away from the stuff in the middle the real questions that are, are affecting both of us and and it's almost like uh, you know I, I don't even know how to describe it where you where you you, you want this diversion going on as a few people carve up the money and laugh at the two two idiots fighting the right and the left guy fighting. I mean, it's uh, I, you know I don't 
this is these are how, how is it that somebody in a, when you're talking to your fed president which was going on in this country in the last 45 50 years how do you not say okay you're cutting back in this qe um but by the way you're only raising the rates up three quarters percent in a year and you've now got a negative interest rate of nine percent now you're talking about maybe eight percent at the end of that year so you're really not going to affect your money supply expansion at all you're just going to shift from uh, buying uh, asset securities, non-traditional like mortgage stuff, and you're going to go back and buying just about everything that the Fed puts out. So the net net, what what is your change on your money supply growth going to be? How does somebody not ask that question, John? Uh, well, what would how would the answer play out, Tom? I mean, how, what would the press have to do to the answer to tweak it in a way that, that wouldn't upset? Even the average person who, who doesn't know a whole lot about fiscal policy to begin with, can you spin that in a way that is reassuring to anybody? I don't think so. But you, but you're, but right now you have a dynamic that's two ends of a magnet. There's, there's one part. By the way, I'm one of the part because <laughs> I have clients that were long stocks, right? I'm one, I mean, I, it's not like I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm oblivious to this. I mean, this is what I do for a living. Everybody knows that. And, and yesterday we, we happened to be, we got caught in like one spot. We were pretty, we were pretty well long. We had a nice day. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not degrading that part of it, but I know that, that every time that the, 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 most of the people who own all the stocks, which is, you know, 5% of the population are giddy with this. I also know the other 95% aren't too happy about it. I mean, it, it's not like we're all winning here. I mean, with, you know, I went to, I stopped at Home Depot and went home last night and I, cause one of the, my tenants, um, has, I've known him forever or her, he has kind of allergies, so I went out and I bought this, you know, kind of high-end furnace filter that, that supposedly, you know, who the hell knows if it does or not, uh, filters more, more, uh, you know, pollens and stuff than a regular one. John, it was twenty-three bucks for a friggin' furnace filter, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll bet you that a year a year ago it was sixteen. You know, I mean, we're we're we're, we're, we're not we're not going uniformly down the cheering road here with this. Right, because I'm going to say, what percentage of the population do you think in the last year has not had 10 percent or equivalent raise? And I'm not talking about, you know, everyone. What do you mean? Guys making ten dollars are now making twelve. They got a twenty. I'm talking about the people who made ten dollars, the same ten dollars they were making twenty years ago. Okay, now they're up to twelve. But it's still only two friggin' bucks. You know, give me a break. And the dollar's worth six bucks now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, give me a break. I mean, we've been, uh, Russell was on yesterday talking about in the last, since, since the COVID, since he, st- he used to come into the show before the COVID and when he was at Loyola, he would bring in his McDonald's breakfast. The guy, he, I love him. He's, a, he's addicted. He gets the same thing all the time. Well, Betty, what's in his breakfast? He gets the, the family breakfast or something. I don't know what he gets, but it was, it was 550. Now a week ago he comes back downtown, it was 850. It's breakfast. I bet it was smaller portions. Well, man, well, yeah, I don't know, but probably. But I'm saying we're, some of these numbers on percentage terms, and we're and we're, and we're we're supposed to whine about McDonald's having to pay somebody twelve dollars instead of ten when, when when the price of one one thing they serve is up three. I mean, come on. But so I'm saying we're not. But the the dumb people are not being represented now. And I know, I know that people when they, when I say anything about unions. Uh, people, ah, the chief reverting to his, you know, his, uh, his, his right, his left wing roots. Um, the fact is, you know, I, I was pretty aware, since I took a lot of union economics when I was in college, 
of how unions had turned into a bureaucracy and were part of the problem maybe. But I will say this, Jan, when they're gone, I'm not talking about public unions. God knows what you want to do with those. But uh, we have we have nobody at that press conference that is speaking for the person who got the 3% raise last year and, is, and is, sees his cost going up 10, and that's lying to you. It's probably more like 15. But we, that person is not represented in this country any place. Are they? That's they give a voice to people who otherwise have almost no leverage when it comes to anything, to working conditions or pay or benefits or any of that. So it, it's the, the idea was a pushback that you got some kind of check on just raping people by not paying them anything like what you were earning off of their backs. Um, and it was a protection against workers. Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about... Of the average consumer, the average person. And even, you know, consumer activists, to me, are just kind of a distraction. They yeah. don't have any... I don't think they have any real say in anything. They're just there as kind of sops to their particular interest groups or industries. They don't have any real strength, I think, when it comes to the big muscle activities going on in Washington. And if you look at every bit of legislation, you know, the the Build Back Better thing, you name it, it's been crafted by people who have a stake in the outcome, unlike what the average person is going to be. Nobody figures what it's going to cost them. So they have no lobbyists working on their behalf. Every other lobbyist in Washington has got a piece of this action. Well, you know, it's funny, just a little bit of history, because we were we were beating up on uh, Tricky Dick yesterday pretty good about his wage and price controls, right? Uh, hey, remind me, maybe the next half hour I want to ask you about when you worked for the census. And, uh, which one were you? Were you Mo, Larry, or Curly? The, uh, remember the one of the three students? <laughs> the best of all three. <laughs> <laughs> Man, did you ever see that episode where they were the census takers? I did not, but God, what I are, can only imagine. <laughs> I hope there isn't some video of me floating around someday down that's going to come back and bite me in the behind. Well, Curly, they're out of the, out of the street, right? So, so Curly like walks, every, every lady on the show was always like, what, a head taller than all the guys? Right. <laughs> so, so Curly walks up to this lady who's like, just like 6'4", it's his big head out of said she like smacks him like, like idiot. <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't do too hot, but uh, anyway, the, uh, when you guys, how did you how did you count if you did? Did anybody even think about homeless people? Are they counted anywhere? Oh yeah, there was a whole, um, and it was a particular. I mean, I I didn't have that as my um, bailiwick. I mean, I did, but I knew people who were working for the census who who were designated to do just that. How do you, they, how do you even do they that? Were working with a particular wing of the census office in every locality, I think, had people who were kind of aware of where there were homeless camps of any size, and they would spend their days, you know, going around from person to person um, under viaducts and stuff. I, I never did that, but I, I did know people who had been doing it. So there were attempts to, to count these people, and there always had been, although I'd have to go back and dig around in some of the, the reference materials to see how aggressive they were supposed to be before they kind of gave up on people because some people just will, will refuse to cooperate with the census even if they're not homeless or have no reason not to, to cooperate but there's every attempt was made to kind of locate where these people were concentrated and to get a number on them and they had to be entered into a particular way in the database where you had to bypass all of the information in there about the address and you know the number of dwelling units and all these other things that were a way of indexing and recording the returns. Um, 
So I, I don't know how that data actually plays out in the published information of the census. And I haven't seen any numbers about homeless people coming out of, say, the Chicago 2020 census. But I know they have a count. They must have some kind of a count. John, what, uh, what percentage, I mean, uh, I had a conversation with uh, the, the lovely Bridget McGrath, Dr. J's wife, who's a retired judge, and uh, we're talking about it. I said, you know, a couple of these guys come by and they're in good shape. They've got, uh, you know, they can, they can put more stuff on a, on a, on a, a shopping center basket. I mean, the guy should be a rigger working and working at some place. I mean, they, they obviously are talented. She goes, there's a lot of guys that just, that have to be, and I didn't even realize this. You learn from everybody. Obviously, you can learn from her, a judge for sure. And, uh, she said a lot of these guys just want to be out of the system. They might have one or two or three judgments against them for a paternity suits or something and just, and just can't, and just can't uh, can't be anywhere for for fear people are going to track them down and say, hey, you're supposed to be sending, you know, this young lady with with your kid a check or something. They just they, they totally dissolve from the system. How, how many? I don't really sense that in the homeless people down here now. Do you, Manny? I mean, it just looks like people are just. Uh, I don't I don't sense that sort of a. This, this was my choice to get away from, uh, you know, somebody finding me for for money. I owe. I, I mean. Is is it? I, don't, I think it's a very small. Part. Do you have any? These guys can they try? Do they try and discern why exactly these people are where they are? Do they just get laid off somewhere? Do they come from a a town where? Because we're trying to talk about that a little bit yesterday, John. You know what, what happens if you're homeless in Iowa? Do you immediately head for a big city because it's easier? Or, you, or the, the or you, I mean, what do you do? I know for a long period of time, a lot of people. That's that's how you ended up. You know, uh, maybe politically incorrectly, but the truth. That's how you ended up with a with a a pretty large black population in Minnesota is they they essentially handed out welfare to anybody if you just showed up. So it was there was uh, it was easier to be qualified there than anywhere else because I mean Minnesota isn't exactly the place you want to you want to move if you if you're down on your economic luck it's kind of cold up there. Uh, that's that's traditionally why they ended up with this you know say a bigger black population than you might have guessed up where it's friggin' cold right. Uh, but I mean, how, do you guys have? Any, is there any attempt when you count somebody to figure out where they came from, or are they registered somewhere else? Do they have an address? I mean, anything like that? Not in the current. Let's say, in the, just using the census as an example, there is not a way unless you've moved, say, within the last six months or so, and you haven't been counted at your former address, and now you're at a new address, and you know. So there's an attempt to get you back into the system. Uh, in the past, like the 1940 census had a question, where were you living in 1935? Um, and if you, you know, so many people on each sheet of the census were asked a bunch of additional questions about, were you on public assistance in that state? Do you have a Social Security card? Are you on any other relief, you know, besides Social Security? And they, they, they I think, were smart to do this because that's the era of the Dust Bowl and, and tremendous you know, upheavals in the population because of the depression where people had resettled in vast numbers all over the country. And that's a, a very useful, you know, bit of data to have. But that was a quirk of the 1940 census. I don't know of any census since then that has asked similar questions about, you know, have you been homeless for any portion of the previous year? Have you been homeless in the last five years? I think eventually there will be questions like that on a census in the future, there, there, there better be. <laughs> if we well, want to handle and exactly what kind of numbers we're dealing with, Maddie, I think you were 
living upstairs when this when this came by. Um, I remember getting this thing in the mail, and it wasn't it wasn't on the number. It wasn't in 2020. I'm going to say it was uh, you know 2005, six somewhere in there. And Matt, you and I talked about it. I got this big thing in the mail from the government from the census. It had to be 12 pages long, asking me like all these kinds of questions. And I, I don't know why I did, but if I'd have, if you'd have been on the show at the time, you might have told me not to fill it out. But I did. I don't know why I did. But uh, it was the same thing. Where you know how long have you been here? Where'd you live before? Uh, you know how many people were in your in, in the home then, and how many? In the, it was you know I mean it, it, all your employment. You know blah blah blah. It was a what is that? I mean, it's not. That's not. It wasn't the census form. Census form well, was like there's, there's information gathering that the census is doing constantly. Things like that. Just, I don't know how, but they're constantly gathering information, even when they're not doing the decennial, you know, every ten year census. And this is a, a way they have of sort of you know piecing together by extrapolation what, what kind of you know population movements do we have in this area? And it's all done by the census districts, so they're looking at, you know, has the number of people gone up in this dwelling unit? Has it gone down? Was this dwelling unit there, you know, in such and such a date or whatever? So it's a, it's a correction effort they make to try to gear up for when they actually have a 10-year census. What trends did we see in between the 10-year period that we can kind of tie this particular district to from what we know from other research we've done? So the census doesn't just like spring to life every ten years or so. It's constantly looking at data, assembling data, crunching data, um, fixing bad you know data, trying to do it better the next time, but also doing constant. What what department of government is this? Through through you know questionnaires like the ones you received, I got one of those too, and it was much more extensive than than the ten year census. Oh yeah, it was not even close. SP futures up thirty, Nasdaq futures up eighty six. Be right back, stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. 
PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everyone. Back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. Brett Weber on the board. SP Futures up 28 and a quarter now. Uh, we've been up 30 plus pretty much since we came in. This is probably the low, but it isn't very low, especially after the run up yesterday. As that futures up 72, it was, that was up over 100 when we came in. So a little bit of leakage there from the highs, but still, like I said, pretty darn high. Dow futures up uh, 222. Individual stocks, we've got the Caterpillar up 234, pulling up two. We've got American Express up 236. Uh, virtually everybody, only, only a couple people down on the Dow here, not very much. Procter uh, & Gamble down a whole penny. And we've got uh, Salesforce down 44 cents. So nothing to the downside here that I could see really anywhere. That's pretty broad, broad base to the upside uh, everywhere. Uh, over in Europe, same thing. Of course, these guys did not go up in the afternoon yesterday. They were already closed. DAX up 239, 1.5%. FTSE up 68.9%. Check around up 89, 1.3%. So London's a little bit of a lagger there. Uh, as they get more COVID cases, I'm not so sure that that's why, but that's oh, maybe a reason. Uh, Nikkei up 606, 2%. Shanghai up 27.7%. Hang Seng, this thing's still a laggard, only up 54.2% because they were, they were down most of the week so far. We're only Thursday, but they've been lagging. Uh, all the, the tech hits that the Chinese stocks have taken have pretty much all been in the Hang Seng market. Uh, yesterday, just as a review, Dow 383, S&P features up 75 at 1.6%. It's a huge move. Especially since we were down probably almost 1% at one point. So it's got to be a 100-point flip in the S&P yesterday. Uh, haven't seen so many of those. NASDAQ up 327. That was over 2%. Bonds um, unchanged at 1.47. The, the Bund is uh, minus 0.33. It's actually up three basis points. Japan unchanged at uh, positive 0.044. Uh, oil uh, up 46 cents, 71.33. Brent up 50 cents, 74.38. Natural gas up nine cents, three eighty nine. Our Bob up a penny to two fourteen. We've got gold, a little bit of a rally here this morning, up twenty four bucks, 
1789. Silver up 70 cents, 22.25. Copper up 13 cents, 431. And I'm maybe mentally kicking myself. We got a position for my, a lot of my guys in the gold miners index. I think traded under 29 yesterday and I'm thinking, I bet this is a buy here and I was a little late to do something because we already have something. Sure enough, it's over 30 today. Big, big bounce from the low yesterday in gold. Uh, and we got crypto. Uh, down 520 now. Wow, that's a move since the last time we did it. 48,735. Maybe we got for us Trevi Weather Sports. 39 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We have a crash on the Tri-State. Uh, it's actually a disabled vehicle southbound side at Grand Avenue. The disabled vehicle is blocking the right center lane and is causing uh, significant uh, congestion and stop and go. We had an earlier crash south of there uh, on 294. That has been cleared, but now this disabled vehicle is slowing down 294 again. Um, so keep that in mind. There's also a crash down south on I-80 eastbound side just before Pulaski Road. That's blocking the right lane and causing congestion on I-80. No issues coming in the, on the Rhine or I-57. Uh, Bishop Ford looking good too. Stevenson traffic starting to build, but no accidents to report. Same for the Eisenhower and Kennedy. Edens is all quiet, as is Lakeshore Drive. Off the expressways, uh, there's traffic signals flashing red at Harlem and South Archer. That's causing some confusion. And then it looks like there is a downed tree on the roadway blocking Golf Road at Harms Road up in the northern suburbs, and that's causing an issue. But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, temperatures kind of dropping. We were in the uh, low 60s overnight. Now we're in the low 50s, and our afternoon high will be about 47. So still very pleasant and well above normal with lots of sunshine today. Uh, but our afternoon high is uh, 47. This morning will be in the low 50s as we are right now, where it's mostly clear and 52. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 63 today. Right now it's clear and 40. In sports, Blackhawks topped the Capitals 5-4 to in overtime. Coyotes lost to the Rangers 3-2. to College Hoops, uh, number 11 Arizona, blew out Northern Colorado 101-76. to you, you forgot to mention the three goals in 34 seconds last night. We already mentioned it. Yeah, it's... Hey, uh, <laughs> maybe it was really strange watching. You, you thought it was a replay. <laughs> yeah, I bet you look down for a second, you look yeah. back up, and there's another goal. Yeah, it was uh, the third one. Now, the second one, I'm like, oh, all right, they, they, they caught these guys flat-footed. But then the third one, wow, you would think that if you're a defensive team, you'd say, we can't let that happen again. <laughs> and then you do. Just, wow. Uh, Jen, I, uh, it, it is interesting when we go through this. I mean, I like uh, talking to you about some of the history. And uh, I hope, I'm always thinking that we should, I'm, you know, I'm always thinking about, you know, Maddie over there and, and making things, uh, a lot of the stuff you see, a lot of the ideas that were kicked about, really have been tried before. And a lot of the, a lot of the issues that we're having. I mean, you're talking about you know people getting in war worry of two years ago, three years ago. I mean, a lot of if you watch any of the films about like building Hoover Dam or the TVA or certainly the Golden Gate Bridge, people had no jobs, and, and if they found out that you were going to uh, build a dam someplace. I mean, they basically got in the car and drove out there and, and looked and weren't weren't moving until they got a job. I mean, you you basically left, you know, Iowa, you left Chicago, and you got in the in the car, and God knows if the thing was even going to make it, right? Or how, how many tires you had to get along the way. I mean, if you watch the uh, the, the construction of Hoover Dam, the, you know, first couple times I saw it or watched the stuff, I was concerned about the engineering and how fascinating it was. Next couple times, you start thinking about the people. And people were, were camped out along the Colorado River where, where it's hotter than the hinges of hell. 
like 100 and some degrees at the bottom of that where that where Lake Mead is, with their kids and living in a tent with babies on the. I mean, good lord, talk about you know built to sturdier stuff. But trying to keep track of of these kind of people in terms of services and what you can even do, it has always been somewhat of an issue. But now times like this with the homeless. Just where I'm going with this. I mean, uh, you know, if you long, make a long story short, don't tell it. I understand that. Um, the Johnson Great Society plan and all these programs, and he lobs this thing out there. This is a LBJ. And at the end of the day, but there's only one program that's left from it, Jan, I think, is Head Start. Head Start, yeah. And, uh, and, and I remember reading, uh, stuff at the time that, uh, this, you know, this is in the 60s and we were in high school and we were studying this kind of stuff. And, uh, that if you took all the amount of poor people, divided the amount of poor people in the, in the amount of, uh, money you spent on this thing, and sent them a check, you wouldn't have had any poor people, you know, by definition. And how was, you know, how much of it gets basically literally sucked along the way by, you know, you name it. Aldermen, community organizers, bureaucrats, preachers, you know, get your rogues gallery list out there. So enter your favorite president, Tricky Dick, who we were talking about yesterday. Now, you know, and, Dick Nixon was, he was a troubled man, I'll say that, right, Jan, but he was a brilliant man as well. He was not a stupid man. Oh, without a doubt. Didn't he he win some uh, famous Supreme Court case from California against some law firm in Boston or New York that that, that nobody thought he had a chance and he won or something against some firm he never should have beat? Wasn't that... Oh, yeah, I can't. I can't recall the subject or the the case name. Yeah, I can't either. But he, I'll try to find that out. Yeah, he. I mean, he was a his lawyers go. He was he was a you know, smart cookie. Absolutely. But, but he and he and John Kennedy, when they were very young in the in the House of Representatives, were immediately identified as the two guys most likely to go further. Correct. Yeah. And uh, when one on the Republican side and one on the Democrat, and they actually. Were fast friends. They had a big debate in Ohio where they where they were debating against each other. And they shared a sleeper car on the train on the way back to Washington. Like they, so, they were not, they were not enemies at all. Anyway, so he comes out with something called, and it never passed. And because we were studying this, and uh, it had to be high school, we weren't in college, yet, I don't think. China, uh, the something called the negative income tax. And I'm getting this. I'm going to somehow tie this into your the homeless story is. Is they said, okay, we're not we're not going to make the same mistakes as the Great Society with all the basically bleeps along the way stealing all the money. Uh, we're just going to say, hey, if you made less than five grand, if you made four grand, and five grand is a property level, we're going to send you a check for a grand. That's just the way it's going to be, and we're going to design it so you're always incented to, to make the next grand from five to six because you're still going to get a little bit of dough. It's always going to it's always going to be worth it for you to go to work. We're not going to disincent you to go to work like we did with the six hundred hour a week thing. You know, stay home because you're making more at home than this was designed to not do that. I'm sure if you Wikipedia, they probably have the details of it. And I thought it was whether I agreed with it or not. I don't know, Jan, but um, it did two things. It basically said we don't care about the what's what's the term the moral uh, moral something something where you uh, the moral dilemma or whatever that. We're going to pay people that aren't that aren't working. What it said was, we don't want any poverty in this country. Here's the poverty line, and if at this level, if we can send these checks out to everybody, by definition, now somebody's going to go drink it probably, and he's still going to be on the street, you know, maybe. But by and large, 
We just don't want a whole bunch of other people's hands in this pie. We're just going to give people the dough. Now, now, now it comes to the next question. How do you even identify the people you really need to help? I mean, if, do, they, do they have an address? Is there a place for them to even know to apply for the damn thing? How many people that are, are, are poor even file an income tax? Because you essentially had to file the income tax to get the check. Right, or they have a bank account where the money can be deposited or anything. So, Manny, just to make it clear, if, if, if you had a year, this is not going to happen, if you had a year where you made no money, okay, normally you're going to say, I'm not filling out the income tax return, right? But in this under this plan, you would, and you would say, Matt Weber made a thousand bucks, okay. And if the property level is five, they're going to send you a check for whatever it would be, John, two grand or something, right? So it was you. You essentially had to be part of the system to benefit from it, which is kind of where I'm going with this. What about all these people that are just totally out of the system? How do you, I mean? How do you know how much Illinois is supposed to get for such and such when when people are living under a bridge? How, how do you even? I mean, obviously, the, the, the San Francisco, Chicago, uh, maybe Las Vegas, somebody said Vegas has a problem now. How do, how do you, these people aren't part of the census, are they or are they? I mean, I, I already asked you that, but how do you... In theory, yes, but as far as being trackable or, or even to have a good count of them, Tom, you know, I, I don't see any, you know, unified effort to make that happen. So we're, we're dealing with it with a... a an underclass, we can't even really get a good figure on the size of that underclass now. Well, I, I know when I, it's, it's, I'm sure much bigger than the estimates we have. Well, I know in our business, being the securities business, if you want to open, a, open up an account at PTI, and again, I, you know, it's been a while since I took my test, and this is not something I read up on every day, I don't think you can do it with just a post office box. You need, you need a place. Right. Um, so, my, if, if if I had decided, you know, I don't want to, or bench three, yeah. you know, Lincoln Park West. You know, you can't. You got to have a mailing address. It's okay. Right. So if if I decide, uh, you know, screw it. I, you know, I'm I'm tired of my business, which I'm not, by the way. I'm tired of stocks and jacks, which I'm not. And I said, screw. I'm hell with this. I'm going to go buy a five year old uh, camper, and I'm going to be like. Uh, uh, what was a John Steinbeck travels with Charlie? I'm happy. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you. I'll, I'll see you in five years. And do I, do I need an address? Do, do you need an address to be a citizen? I mean, uh, it, can I just move from where I live and in, in five years from now show somebody my driver's license when I haven't been there in five years and say, Oh, you have you know, no requirement to have a driver's license. You know, well, I mean, if I'm driving my my van around, I want. Yeah, one would think you have one. Mean much these days. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, can you just can you just go off grid? I, I, can well, you? it's pos- it's possible, and I think there's probably more people than I could you know pick a number and say that applies to them who are doing that willfully or or, or just by accident. Um, I think it is possible to do that, and I think in, in some ways it might be attractive for some people to do it too. I mean, it's one thing to dodge your bills or your creditors or you know, people you're trying to get away from. It's another thing if you're mentally ill and don't even miss these things and, and you know, are living from, you know, hand to mouth pretty much. And, but, you know, you are, are able to live. You're, maybe your life expectancy is reduced and you have substance abuse problems or chronic illness or something. But I think it's possible in many parts of, of the globe, certainly, but certainly in this country now, maybe more than ever, to have a life. It isn't the life you or I would ever want, can't maybe even imagine ever having for a day, 
but I think a lot of people are are doing it, and you know, this this makes the problem of of fixing what's wrong a lot harder because by driving these people kind of off the grid, we've kind of made it impossible ever to bring them back on it or make it attractive to be on it too. Well, uh, our esteemed producer who hasn't been uh, at work for a while and all of a sudden got yanked in this week for a day and it was a little bit of a culture shock, right, Maddie? Can you imagine if all these people in these tents, all of a sudden, even if it was an outdoor, you know, pick up trash in a park job, can you imagine the shock it would be to actually go to work for a day? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying in a bad way. I'm just saying it's just it's not even part of what you... A lot of what you do is, is so habit-forming. You know, I get up, I get on the train, I go to work, I read my book, I mean, I'm there, and I mean, this, this is what I, if you all of a sudden don't do that for a year, your first day has to be like, God, how, how do I ever do this every day? You're doing it for the first time in your life. I yeah. can tell you, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough that I've, that I've been able to work every day remotely and not miss a beat and still hit my sales goals and things like that. But, uh, but the, the cadence of going into the office, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, uh, and, and the boredom involved in, when you're sitting there in between meetings and you're stuck to your desk and you can't, I mean, there's nothing, you can go get a coffee only so many times. I mean, so you're just basically reading Yahoo News or something. I mean, I had forgotten the doldrum of that. I mean, that, that cubicle life is just soul sucking and I had totally forgotten. Man, you should imagine my, my first and, and I've done it every day for 15 years and, and now, you know, you take a year and a half of not doing that where you, take your meetings you do your sort of uh you know uh, office back office type work you uh you know do your customer calls and then in between you can kind of do whatever you want you clean your house you can do your laundry you can go run an errand you can go get your oil changed you can uh you know take the dog out whatever whatever it is you're always doing something you're never just sitting and when you're in an office i'd forgotten how much just sitting there is and doing nothing i could never do that well, I, there was an interesting piece in the paper yesterday, Tom, sort of building on, on what you and Matt are saying. Um, and it's one of the few pieces of good news about Chicago real estate I've seen in a while about the Thompson Center uh, and possible redevelopment of it and not demolishing it and replacing it. But this, the prime group, this Michael Reschke, who has come up with a deal that Pritzker has accepted um, to re- rehab the building, the you know this Helmut Jan State of Illinois building, Thompson Center, and, you know, keep it as a, a mixed-use building rather than demolishing it. And Reschke of the, the Prime Group says he's, he expects there to be 80 to 90 percent of workers, you know, pre, you know, back in the loop over the next two or three years, which I found a startling number because I don't see that happening. But maybe he knows something I don't. But I, I think keeping the building is a good thing. It's also a sign that what are they going to do, demolish it and build or not build on an, on an empty lot that will stay empty for the next 15 oh. years. And there's lots of those around Chicago these days. You're like Black 41 or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 51 or so whatever. First, I think it's a victory for, for pres- preservationists that this building isn't just going to be trashed. And like it or not, it is a kind of a statement. And um, it was never really used the way it was designed to be used, and it certainly hasn't been maintained. I will... Again, if, if if you and I were, if he was here, Stocks and Jacks, and we were interviewing, which actually I'd love to do, they, that guy from Prime, um, I have two questions. Now, you're talking 80 to 90% of the people back. You're talking about the companies that choose to stay here. 
Right. I don't think 80 to 90 percent of the companies currently here, given what's going on in the city, will still be here. I think I think we're going to lose 20, 30, 40, or not attract people that we maybe otherwise would have attracted because of the violence and the stuff that's going on. Albert G., if 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 a firm in the 175 building or whatever, I'm trying to explain myself here. If they stay there and they're in the Chicago area and they're, they're firms with people like Mike Maddie's firm, I'm going to think in two to three years, maybe sooner, 80 to 90 percent of Maddie's people at his place will be back at, at work at least three four days a week. Maybe not five because I mean, obviously he can work from home pretty well. He doesn't have to be all five. Why would he? Uh, but I'm going to say that 89% of the of the firms now here won't still be here. That's a totally different question. You're right. Um, and I think the fact that Tom, that Pritzker has backed off, you know, he, he wanted to sell the site outright to some developer for the biggest amount of money who'd put up whatever the developer had in mind. I think even Pritzker knows now that that's just pie in the sky. It's not going to happen. And this is, this is a way, I think, of ratcheting down expectations. I think it's a healthy thing, but I, I don't think he, any of these people really have a good sense of how everything is going to have to be ratcheted back from what it is now. And it's not going to be recognizable. It won't be a downtown like we've known. And it won't be that way really in any big city, I don't think. Um, we, I think, have to get used to this, and we have to kind of adapt our appetites to what it's going to be and learn how to maybe not overbuild. But you can't, if, if you're going to go seriously down this road of not as many people driving, you have to make more use of the public transportation. And in order to do that, you have to be in the bigger cities because those are the places where you can, you, you can, you can come to work, even Chicago, even on the worst day, you can come to work here and come home for eight, for six bucks a day. You can't do that anywhere else. Right. And that's another reason why I think they had to save this building, because that building is intertwined with the Clark and Lake subway stop on the blue line and the loop elevated, you know, with the purple, green, you know, brown line that, you know, you have to enter the Townsend Center to get to any of those transit outlets. And they knew that if they demolish this building, it's going to completely destroy transit access at one of the busiest points on the system. That would be bad for business all over downtown if they did that. Um, so this way they get to keep that and, and hopefully rehab it and refurbish it. Um, that will kind of keep people able to get you know on and off a train, with, you know, right in the heart of the city and go back to wherever they they are living, which I think is key if you're going to keep any kind of viable life downtown. Well, if, if all six million people in the Chicago area decide they have to drive to work. Oh, There's God. a lot more than 6 million people or in the Chicago area. What so almost almost yeah. 10. All right, makes even better yet. If we all decide at the same time we're, we're trying to cut back on fossil fuels, if you force everybody into their car, we, we were going at this in a bunch of different directions, and that's kind of what we're talking about all the time, John and Maddie, is that, okay, you've got a, a, all kinds of people that you can't get any, uh, you can't get, nobody can hire anybody, allegedly. And, oh, by the way, we got the biggest homeless problem ever. How, how do those things happen on the same day? You know, we, we're trying to get rid of fossil fuels at the same, uh, and people in cars, and we're going to go electric at the same time we're tearing down power plants. I mean, it seems like we're, we're, we're kind of really, and now we're worried about the economy, but instead of the economy, we're concerned about as long as the stock market stays up, we don't care about the economy. I mean, we have these, 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 bi, these bipolar almost 
things going on here, or is it just me? It's, it's, it is quite bipolar. I mean, they're, they're going to have to have a, a really amped up police force for the CTA before yeah. they're through. And I know, you know, Lightfoot is in favor of this, and maybe other people too, but they're going to have to make people feel comfortable and safe on the transit system. And if they can't do that, it doesn't matter what dreams they have for developing downtown. If they can't give people the security that they're going to get downtown and home without being mugged or slashed or something else, forget it. Forget everything, really. Yeah. My, my, my blue line blue line ride yesterday, I know we have to go, but I, since John just mentioned it, uh, this is at uh, 8, 8.35 in the morning on a weekday yesterday. Beautiful weather day. I get on my train car. Uh, the guy, two seats to my left, lights up a cigarette. Uh, a lady... Uh, two seats to my right uh, brings on a full Chicago uh, garbage can with her, and, and it's blocking the whole aisle. And who knows what's in it—clothes and shoes and whatever. Whatever, basically everything she has in possession is in this garbage can. And then the guy across from me is sleeping across three seats, and uh, me and like eight other people are, you know, have are clearly like going to a a, a job. <laughs> and and uh we're all kind of looking at each other like Jesus, this is this is where we're at now. And By the way, many of you offered eight thirty in the morning on a weekday. If you offered the lady who lives in the bus stop a uh to be able to put her name on your mailbox so she can at least get coupons? <laughs> I should. God that's, that's, that's the put some kind of barcode on people S P Futures up twenty what if she hangs up a mailbox in the bus stop? What if that's me? Futures up twenty two. Days if you're up forty eight. Back tomorrow. Stocks and jacks. What did we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to ptisecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at ptiprodirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.